It's not just to one place. <laughs> I have pain here. In my famous ass. It's not that bad, is it? Well, you can hear them, and you can you can see them a little bit. I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, you, you learn to play the ball. But I'm not going to say it was a, a total distraction, but it is a little annoying, maybe. No, I shouldn't have to change for any other circumstance. I like my hair. It's just things flying in the air that you're not supposed to be seeing. It's not that bad, is it? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. And it is 2017, a brand new tennis season. Are you ready for season three of The Body Serve? I'm still not sure I'm ready for tennis. <laughs> what do we have, like a three-week hiatus, not even? Yeah, uh, and it felt like several days. Because tennis had no chill in the off-season as well. It felt like there was breaking news every day. Oh my god, I know. I was like, can you just let us enjoy our vacation? We're going to get to some of the stuff that happened in the off-season. But since we are in January, and it is tennis, that means tennis is happening in Australia. Which means... Dick-driven spray. <laughs> the bush birds calling. Of the day. Let me see the sun bars streaming. Down the valleys. Ear the night. Fills the world with pleasant dreaming. And delight. It's, it's delight. You know, we did, we elicited some help with our Australian accents, and I know we have a long way to go. That was probably dreadful. <laughs> that was Kiwi, how dare you? <laughs> you know, between watching the Venus Williams carpool and all this Aussie stuff, it's just hard to keep all the accents straight. You got some help from Frith, who was on the podcast. Yeah, because, okay, one of the hardest things in Australian for me is... No, like the vowel O. And she told us you just got to flatten your lips and let it come out. So it's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Your mouth literally did not open. That's not what she said. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even close. So what is it? I can't do it. Try. No, I need to practice uh, on my own off-season. You should have done this already. Come on, you knew we were going to be doing this. I need this. a vocal give it, coach. Give it a go. Give it at least one mm -mm. go. I can't be the only one embarrassing myself on air. Give it a go. Um, oh, in this is a perfect example. In Muriel's wedding, when uh, the two are on vacation and all like the popular girls come up to what's her face, Rachel Griffiths, like, "Are you here alone?" And she's like, "Ne'er, <laughs> I'm with Muriel." It sounds like there's an R on the end. Yes. <laughs> well, this is a perfect segue into something that happened in the off season. Something that ruined my New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> See, like how we performed that poem, recited it with a backing track? Miss Mariah Carey did not have her proper backing track in Times Square on New Year's Eve. And she didn't try to recite it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not no sound technician, no sound engineer. I don't know what it's like to perform in Times Square with all those people there. In the cold, at night, what's required. But she clearly was not having it. And she should have just stopped. Yeah. Really. Uh, okay. Here's the thing. Her ear monitor wasn't working. And really, she shouldn't have gone out there at all if it wasn't working. Because she couldn't hear the music. And it shocked me that someone with so much experience 
just handled it so poorly. Well, let me tell you, I accepted the ribbing from family and close friends. Mm -hmm. I expected it. Would you call that ribbing from your parents or like roasting over an open flame? (laughs) Whatever. They birthed me. It's their Mm. right. They get to do that. It's true. However, the people who have not heard from in months and years to be coming out of the woodwork on Facebook to be like, oh, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts or like whatever. Like, no, I'm not having that. Be gone. (laughs) And that's that. As far as I'm concerned, it did not happen. I've chosen to not speak about it. This is my platform, my safe space. I get to do so now sitting beside (laughs) you. (laughs) But that's it. It's over and done with. Listen, every diva... All the great ones have these shocking performances. It happens. Something that happened in the off-season that we even thought about having maybe even a whole episode because we had so many thoughts about it. Definitely at least a a segment, but now we're just going to just give it a little bit of a treatment because so much has happened and we've got so much to cover in this episode. But that Serena and Common interview for The Undefeated. Yeah. It was billed as this great sit-down where... Nothing was off topic where race was treated in such a gritty way. And I was sitting there watching it and came away feeling so disappointed. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting concept. And it was kind of cool to see Serena and Common's chemistry. Because obviously they have a lot of affection for each other. And they know each other quite well. I think but what I, you mean to say is that Common is still very, very thirsty. Clearly in love with her. <laughs> but that closeness may have undermined the interview a little bit. Because, it be- well, it became very clear that those, whoever was producing the interview and writing the questions didn't know a whole lot of tennis. Like, didn't bring mm-hmm. a lot of tennis knowledge to it. Which, not every interview has to but it felt like you know they kept doing these little packages about how serena's the greatest athlete athlete yeah. of all time I, this is where and it so felt. fine okay but there was just no there was like no tennis knowledge backing up any of that stuff it was it was just ugh, i don't know fluff just a mere few months ago we were talking about whether and some people still are and think it's undecided that Serena is the greatest women's tennis player of all time. Do we know for sure that that's decided? And so then you jump to then say that she's the greatest athlete, man, or woman of all time. Like, it just felt unnecessarily hyperbolic. Right. Because I don't think that anyone, let's say when Steffi Graf was the best women's tennis player of all time, nobody said that she was the greatest athlete who ever lived, <laughs> you know? And you um, don't need to make that claim to really situate serena's importance as a cultural and political icon now no not at all you don't have to be greater than michael jordan to then justify her position no and it's just not useful to make that claim and that's not really what serena is that's not what she's Mm. if you think about who she is and what she's about like that's not needed like serena is transcendent and part of that is transcending that label right well, it's just not, it's simply not that interesting. I feel like when, you, when you've when you taken Serena and made her into this sort of celestial legend up there with Wayne Gretzky and Jim Thorpe and Ollie. Babe Ruth, I like these people. It's just not interesting at all to me because it doesn't situate any of the issues that I like talking about with and regard to Serena. 
it makes it feel like you're just producing this thing for the masses, for people who don't have an in-depth knowledge of tennis, right? This was well, not that's ma- fine. This this was clearly not made for tennis lovers, right? Because we've seen it, like we've seen the Serena documentary. It was much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And I I just sort of got a little tired of Common asking the same questions in different words. He asked her several times about sort of the impact that she's had on other athletes. Did you know you'd have so much influence? Did you know you'd be so inspiring? It was just like, this is really boring. Like, these are not questions that elicit very interesting responses. And at moments when you needed or felt like there should have been questions taken to another level, it just became common fanboying (laughs) in spots. (laughs) So it was an interesting exercise, but overall pretty disappointing for me. Because we also don't get that kind of access from Serena very often. No. So that in itself, in that kind of intimate setting, was fascinating. I just wish it were more. Something I thoroughly enjoyed in the offseason was Mr. Roger Federer's periscope practice. (laughs) Because he decided that all you other plebes and common folk who want to give your fans access to your practices, I'm going to show you how it's done. Because I, I didn't watch it live. It was it was trumped up for quite a while, being advertised. I'm like, come on, it's just a practice session. Like, I know dude's been out for a while. We haven't seen him on the tennis court in, what, nearly six months. He's Roger Federer. It's a big deal he's coming back. But I felt like it was a bit much, right? <laughs> and then so I click on the Periscope link, and then I see him just running toward the baseline. Is like, okay, this is pretty good quality. And then game changer, there's another camera. <laughs> <laughs> Within the first like 20 seconds, there's two camera angles. Like who is operating this thing? Who is producing it? Like this is crazy. I appreciate his flair for the dramatic now more than ever. And as someone said on Twitter, it may have been Tamani Carroll. I'm not quite sure that it was kind of weird to see Federer that up close and hear him exert himself to hear him, <laughs> to hear him grunt and see him sweat so up close it was yeah. this is this is new well jonathan if you don't train in the dubai heat then you're not <laughs> going to be able to handle the heat in australia <laughs> and he's not bothered by the extreme heat okay mm, got it if if for nothing else, if you haven't watched it, it's still available. It's it's a piece of tennis history. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that happened recently is that Ms. Serena Williams is going to be Ms. Serena Williams. <laughs> but she's going to add a mister. <laughs> Alexis Ohanian, who is uh, one of the founders of Reddit... Who is six foot five? I didn't realize that. Yeah. In none of his pictures did I think he was that tall until I saw him beside her yeah. in that engagement he photo. He is a tall dude. That was the cutest photo ever. In her little new Nike sneakers, finally, you know, showing off the ring for anyone who wants to see it. I don't. I'm not interested <laughs> in diamonds or any of that ostentatiousness. But it was a very cute photo. And they seem happy. In some little small street in Rome. He did it right because he knows she loves Rome. Mm-hmm. He flew her there. Another thing we have in common. Probably served her some gourmet tacos. <laughs> a buffet of tacos. Last time I was in Rome, I'm not really sure where you'd find tacos, but I'm sure that they found some. He had them imported. Who knows? 
Congrats, Serena. Uh, congrats, Alexis. Yes. He's the real winner yes. here. <laughs> yes. Agreed. However, she's happy, so we're happy for her. Unlike the people who are telling her, like, why is she marrying a white man? Like, she's some kind of betrayer to her so-called oh, Lord race. Jesus. Who said that? Jason Whitlock? <laughs> <laughs> Would you be surprised? <laughs> In uh, some really not so funny news, some really shocking shit went down with Petra Kvitova over the Christmas break. Yeah. So we had just found out she was going to pull out of Hopman Cup because she was dealing with an injury. I went to bed that night at like three in the morning, our time in Canada. Mm. And she had just tweeted, sorry guys, I'm going to have to pull out of Hopman Cup because I'm not fully recovered from my injuries. It's like, okay, wake up and everybody's going off on Twitter about, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Petra. I hope you recover soon. I'm like, Guys, she's fine. Like, right. She's just not playing Hotman Cup. It's not the end of the world. And then just hour, literally, just a couple hours after she sent those tweets, some dude knocks on her door pretending to be some guy changing the gas and mm. assaults her in her apartment. It's so crazy. And apparently in defending herself with her dominant hand, she was sliced with a knife and damaged tendons and a nerve. In her left hand, which is... Multiple, it seems. Right. And so she immediately went into surgery. They said the surgery was successful. But the best case scenario is for her to be back playing tennis in six months. Not even holding a racket for, what, three? Three months or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, what can you even say about this? It's so horrible. Right after she had found a bit of form at the end of 2016, would probably have been somebody to watch in 2017. Yes, Absolutely. I just really, we feel horrible for her. She's shown uh, like a remarkable spirit in the face of all this. But, you know, I hope she takes care of herself mentally as well, because this is obviously very traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so I hope she has people around her that know uh, that she's going to need support in different ways. Happy trails to Anna Ivanovich, who has retired from tennis. Yeah, that one was not a big surprise when she announced that this press conference was coming, or or a big announcement was coming. It still made me sad. Yeah, I mean, of course it sparked a lot of discussions about whether she was an overachiever, an underachiever, looking back at her career. I mean, she's a major winner. She won 15 titles, won the 2008 French Open, made the 2008 Australian Open final. This is somebody, despite... Her lack of results in the last, what, six years? It's been a while since she's been a top player on the WTA Tour. This is still somebody who is seriously accomplished mm -hmm. in tennis. And really somebody who worked her ass off to try to get back to where she was. She really wanted to be there. Despite uh, just a really fast fall after achieving the number one ranking, like she, she kept at it for many years. You can never say that Anna Ivanovich did not try. And in a lot of ways, she fell victim to the glamorization of her as a tennis player. Because when she started to struggle, people then mocked her very willingly. Oh, of course. And did not take her seriously as a tennis player. When in fact, it seemed like she was always trying her best. And on top of that, universally seems to have been liked 
by everybody in tennis. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen one bad thing written or heard one bad thing said about her since this announcement that she's retiring. And we're in a phase of, of women's tennis where we have a lot of people out. Like it or not, think what you think about Sharapova. She's a big name missing. Vika is missing. She Off-season news, she gave birth to a little baby boy, Leo. The picture she's showing since giving birth, it makes it seem like she'll be back on the court in three weeks. <laughs> but she's out. You have a lot of big names struggling. Bouchard, Wozniacki's on the come up again. Uh, Bouchard is the most accomplished 22-year-old I know, <laughs> according to her. <laughs> I'm like, excuse you, Caroline Wozniacki was more accomplished than you when she was right? that age. Like, <laughs> uh, We don't even have to go into Venus no, and Serena. but like, I don't even need to be giving that any play on this podcast yeah. because it's just absurd. Deal with your house in Westmount that apparently is derelict and is being condemned by the city of Montreal. <laughs> just deal with it. Point being, I will miss Anna. I think she will be missed on the WTA tour. Yes. Oh, and we would be remiss if we did not wish ourselves a happy birthday because we've still got six more minutes before the body serve officially is two years and one day old. This day in Body Serve history, January 8th, 2015, we recorded or released our first episode of Formal Education. Which, as we noted on Twitter, was very nearly the name of the podcast. <laughs> it was only because it felt like it would have been a very inside joke. Because, of course, it references yes. the Serena, the famous Serena Presser, where, which in previous seasons was the lead up. And the intro to the to the podcast, right? Mm. And it also didn't have anything tennis related in the title. Yeah, but we we both really loved it. And it, but if someone didn't get the joke, it would have sounded really pretentious, right? Like, come and listen for your formal education. Mm. We're gonna teach you things. <laughs> On to the tennis. As you mentioned, the off season ended, although it never seemed to begin. And in, I would say, good news for tennis, we had a few unsurprising winners. People who continued their good form into the new year. Why Karolina is, Pliskova is, Why is that good news for tennis? Uh, well, I, I think that, well, I and a lot of fans like when people sort of fulfill their potential, mm. shall I say. And I like when players continue streaks of good play. Unless it's someone I don't like. And unless it's against Serena. Exactly. You can all just sit down in that situation. (laughs) So yeah, Pliskova pretty much breezed through Brisbane. She beat Putinseva, Mohamed, Vinci, Svitolina, and Cornet in the final. The only set she lost was against Vinci Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the quarterfinals. And we, we know what she can give. And maybe this is her putting her hand up yet again as like, listen, I ain't going nowhere. Well, she did that pretty emphatically at the U.S. Open last year, and I think she is really coming into her own. A, a confident Pliskova is very dangerous because she has she has the serve, obviously, that a lot of people are afraid of, and the strokes that can win majors. God forbid if she decides to bend her knees. <laughs> <laughs> like, what yeah. will be unleashed? Be very afraid. <laughs> And her sister, Christina, actually had a good week mm-hmm. over in China as well. Listen, she is on the come up. Can you tell them apart? I'm to- I've am i never really done the test myself, but one, there's a tattoo difference. 
Okay. That you can tell. And also if you're if they're playing, one is a lefty, one is a righty. But if they're just standing looking straight on at the camera side mm. by side with like say long sleeves on, it's very difficult. <laughs> I wanna just get out of the way quickly. Roberta Bautista Gut, he won in Chennai. Stan has played and won there, I think, four of the last five years. He didn't play this mm. year. He chose to play Brisbane instead. He beat Medvedev in the final. And then Sinyakova beat Halep, Kanta, and then Risk in the final to win Shenzhen. Like, hello, Czech Republic. Really stepping up to the plate this week. Right. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I should note that Bautista Agut, I think, lost like eight points on serve in that final. I mean, that was just a, a very, very wise choice to play in the smaller tournament this week. You know, we are all in for RBA because yes. after he tweeted that a gay marriage support festival tweet last spring, like I will support him at every turn. Yep. Shy of playing Rafa. Like he can beat Andy <laughs> too. I don't care. Like, right. Go have it. <laughs> And that was his fifth title of his career. He had two last year, and he wins right off the bat in 2017. Lauren Davis wins Auckland. Let the church say amen. We don't have a whole lot to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about Auckland. Yes, shall we? Because we got a lot of press in the fall that, oh my word, not only is Venus playing, which means Venus is playing in 2017, not retiring, but she got Miss Serena Williams to play as well. And they're the number one and two seeds. Could we get an All-Williams final to start the year? Venus <laughs> clearly loves Auckland. Even after she losing loves, in the second round. loves uh, New Zealand. How often do you see her just stick around and have the time of her life? Mm-hmm. Dancing on tabletops with a glass of red wine in her hand on Taylor Townsend's <laughs> Snapchat. Posting. She's She's been stepping up her social media game too. She's doing a lot of tweeting, a lot of Instagramming. And she just left Auckland, or she could still be there now, as of this this recording. Yeah, she's... Um, and you should really watch her carpool. Mm-hmm. Driving around the Auckland sites, talking about her little Kiwi. Which her little she... stuffed Kiwi friend, <laughs> Nelson. Yeah, she got... <laughs> the guy she was driving around with had all these distinctively Kiwi things in or New Zealand things in the passenger seat of the car, right? And she was rummaging through them. Mm. And she found this stuffed Mostly kiwi. Food. Yeah. <laughs> she found this stuffed kiwi. He was like, she's like, oh, I want this. Can I have this? And he goes, yeah, you can have it. And he goes, you can name it. And she, she goes, Nelson. Like, within two seconds, she names this, this stuffed animal you Nelson. You should name him Nelson. And then <laughs> puts it on her shoulder. It was so cute. <laughs> so despite loving... New Zealand, Venus unfortunately had to pull out after her first match. I mean, can Venus get a break? Like even when she was making deep runs at the majors, she was last year. She was still having to deal with rain delays. She's thirty six, turning thirty seven. She cannot play two high quality matches within hours. She would have had to have come back on court. I think it was like four hours later to play Naomi Osaka of all people, mm. who, as it turns out pulled out herself yeah who had a small injury but apparently it's not going to be a problem for the australian but had the two of them been healthy that would have been really unfortunate (laughs) right i don't know the extent of venus's injury i hope it's not too too bad because she didn't look that great in her match Mm. 
to be honest, against Jade Lewis, and it was hard to tell whether it was conserving herself for potentially having to play two matches in one day, or if it was the Shogun's fatigue, or if it was an actual injury. Right? Is there? It's did she cite an injury? She did specifically. I think so, and it's if she didn't, the tournament did, or somebody did. Okay, an injury was given. But you can never really tell what is going on just from watching Venus play, you know. Right. So because she can be healthy and have sort of these strange matches. Yeah, the truest know? test is the speed of her first serve, which was definitely down. So you didn't know if it was a shoulder thing or okay, or what have you. But at points she was at times she was playing well off the ground. At times the serve looked a little bit better. So who knew? Anyway, Serena Williams. Serena also won her first round match against Parmentier and then threw in like clunker of the decade against Madison Brangle. <laughs> so you are one of those people who think that no, it was the worst no, match of no. her life. I mean, I cannot believe people w- within seconds of the match ending saying this was the worst loss of Serena's career. I, first of all, how can you possibly know that? Have you watched them all? But you know what? It's all Serena's fault. She has cultivated this mentality with her fans. Because she then goes into press and says as ju- pretty much the same thing. Like, the, she, she she can't find the words to describe it. Something obscene, which she can't say. <laughs> you know, like... And then these people just take this and run with it. Like, mm. yes, Serena says it's horrible. Any match that Serena loses is horrible. This was definitely not her best match by any stretch, but I don't think it was her worst at all. I mean, Serena has always done that. When she plays badly, she says, you know, um, I was I played better when I was six years old. My backhand was non-existent. I can't believe I even got it to three sets, like stuff like that. It's just what she does. Like it's her sort of the way that she exercises the match. from her spirit and the williams fandom really hurts my heart watching them lose because it's like girl bye mess what a mess this is terrible they like throw her away so easily but it's not throwing away permanently it's just like it's casual and it's flippant it's angered but just feels so like (laughs) icky and mean-spirited i don't know it just uh, and i'm not just i'm not one of those who and the rafa fans are like this where they they will rafa could hit a ball 50 feet wide and they'll be so optimistic (laughs) (laughs) you know like they're extremes within every fandom yeah but i would say that okay i have been a serena williams fan for probably 15 Eight, years. 18 years. Okay. That's more than half my life. So, listen. I have, like, I have something to contribute here. I'm I'm not a newcomer. I think, I don't get why a Serena Williams fan would not be the most optimistic fan in the world. Because she has won so many matches that she had absolutely no business winning. She's won majors that she really should not have won. Because of her greatness. And because she defies expectations in a way that I don't think we've seen in pro tennis in the open era. It just, it doesn't make sense. The The rules of preparation and form and all these things, they don't apply to Serena. And so when I say 
I'm optimistic, that means Serena has given me reason to be optimistic. Why am I going to cry and whine when she loses in the second round in Auckland? Like, I don't care. (laughs) She's given us so much. She loses to Madison Brengel, who gives us one of the highlights of the year already on her changeover with her or coaching timeout with her coach. And what does she say? Oh, she's probably surprised how bad I am. Or maybe I should play, (laughs) just keep playing bad because it's throwing her off or something like that. (laughs) Serena was also very bothered by the wind. And we've seen this before. Mm -hmm. We saw this in the US Open. And Nike really needs to get their shit together. Because her dresses do not withstand the wind. They're blowing over her head. It's just, it's a constant problem with these Nike kits. Her Her outfits are short. And that's by design. Mm. She clearly likes them that right. way, and she has a big butt. So that's the problem. <laughs> <You think? laughs> that, I mean, it's not going to fix itself unless the, the outfits get longer, <laughs> you know? And it's not so, I don't think it's that so much Nike. Serena clearly has some creative control over it at this point. Like, if it were that big of a problem for her, she would put her foot down. All right. Clearly, she likes, she prefers the cuteness and will deal with mm. the occasional wind. Well, she, just did have not, herself, she did not deal with it. Have herself a Marilyn Monroe moment. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about with that match is Madison Brengel, to my mind, played well. Is she a world beater, a top 10 player? Is her best even close to troubling Serena at her like 50% level? Mm. Probably not. But what do, why, why do we got to put her down? And I mean... Madison Brengel did what a professional is supposed to do. And she, she went out there. Yeah. She played her game professionally. She re- uh, <laughs> Are you taking a jab at Serena? No, I'm not. Because I'm she, saying, she said that her performance was very unprofessional. Oh, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even watch the press conference. I'm just saying this is what a professional tennis player does. She went out and played the match and she played her game. That's a cliche, but it makes, in this case, it makes sense. She played the game that she knows how to play. And she retrieved like her life depended on it. So I'm not going to I'm not going to trash her. And I don't think this has a lot of bearing on the Australian Open personally. Novak wins in Doha and he beats Andy Murray in the final, in a three-set final. Mm-hmm. I was really really not surprised at that result because Novak needed that win a lot more than Andy did. Nor was I surprised not necessarily for that reason but because I've maintained that I don't think Novak's level is that far off from his best. Okay. That his dip was as calamitous as people made it out to be. Mm. So, like, he got some time off in the offseason. Yes, he saved five match points against Verdasco in the semifinal. Hello, Fernando. Like, Yo. You just got a Sanchez in your camp. <laughs> oh, no. A rancher's brother. Oh, no. Emilio? Right? I think so, or, one, or Javier, oh. one of them, right? And you state that you're very serious about having a really good year, and you get this chance right off the bat, semifinal, Doha, against Novak. You're up a set and 6-2 in the tiebreak in the second set, and you can't close that out. Like that, 6-2, that's six, a quadruple two, that's, match point. It's crazy. That means you served for it at least twice. Uh, um, I like Fernando a lot. I think we both do. But these semifinal heartbreaks will haunt his career, I think. I mean, I think he should still see this week as a win. Yeah. He played really well. 
And when you're that close against Djokovic, you have to go back and watch the tape and say, what could I have done differently? And I think not hitting every single line or trying to go for every single line is what you can do differently. He's also the type of player who playing that way gets you to that position in the first place. So it becomes more mental than anything else Mm -hmm. at that point, right? The big narrative coming out from that match and event, not that Novak beat Andy after all that went down in the last half of last season, but that Novak had yet another incident. (laughs) A lot of people wanted us to talk about this. And, I mean, we were going to talk about it anyway. Uh, Pretty early in the first set. See, this is when it always happens with Novak. It's When he's in a good position. Like, it doesn't happen in the tensest moments Mm -hmm. or at the most important junctures of the match. This happened, I think, at 3-2 in the first set. I mean, nothing's been decided yet. And he... It's not like you're down 1-5. Right. He decided to, well, nonchalantly just kind of hit a ball that bounced into the stands and hit somebody. I mean, there was no danger of someone getting seriously injured. But there are rules in tennis. And apparently, from a lot of our Twitter colleagues who know the rules, <laughs> that is often uh, an automatic default if you hit someone in the stands with the ball. I don't think it's that big of a deal. On the face of it, it's fairly innocuous. But it's the pattern that's developed at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the scaring of the lines, lines kids. <laughs> Oh my god. The I don't know. They need to start paying the line the ball kids in his matches. It's I mean that's one part of it. There were other incidents last year as well. It's, it's Well last the, year uh, he bounced his racket into the stands in either Rome or Madrid. It's the closeness, the proximity of all these incidents happening together mm. that make them more fresh in people's minds that then build a case that something is awry here. And what I don't understand, and I've never understood, is why, if you're then number one, now number two, still one of the all-time great players, you continually put yourself in these positions, giving the impression that you simply cannot control yourself. That's what it boils down Mm -hmm. to at this point, because you can make mental efforts to not do it, one would think. Of course. That's the baffling part about it. And Mr. Nick Kyrgios came out of the woodwork to, quote, tweet an article that gave you video of the incident. And he said, I would have been, what, what, banned like for 2000 years by now (laughs) or something if I had done this, which, okay, Nick, like your, your track record is a bit different from, Mm. from Novak. You know, it's not apples to apples, but the idea that he's putting forth that, that there's a double standard is something to pay attention to because it's not just Novak, it's time violations the often arbitrary enforcement of rules in tennis that seem to apply to some people and not to others. Mm -hmm. And why then are some people penalized and others not? I think that's the bigger issue. And I, for one, am very curious to see how this is going to play out throughout the rest of the year because it's something that's getting more and more attention. And Novak himself was fined after the match and he had to address it. And he said, I accept the fine. I shouldn't have done it. So know that he, we know that he's aware that he shouldn't be doing it and that it, I assume he understands it's a problem. What happens next? He was fined $2,500, which, oh, <laughs> big deal. He could lose $2,500 and not notice. Our friend Lovely from Twitter asked 
how much was Venus Williams fined for skipping that press conference? And the answer is Mm $5,000. So double that. So the priorities are totally whacked. That was at the Australian Open at a major. But it's just... Okay, first of all, it's just a really, really bad look from your premier player on the ATP Tour. Because he's he's still, he's not the number one player, but he's the best player in the world, right? Or has been for the past uh-huh. probably Cum- four years. Cumulatively, yes. Yes. It's just a bad, bad look. And it happens over and over and over. So the ATP and the tournaments have given the message that it's okay when Novak Djokovic does it. And... For those of you who are going to criticize us for not calling out Serena Williams, Serena has been punished quite a bit and fined a record amount, $80,000 at the U.S. Open for what she did. So she has paid the price. Novak has not. Serena's behavior, it was made very clear to her that it was unacceptable and that the same cannot be said for Novak. So I'm... Like, just getting tired of seeing it, to be honest. I'm getting tired of having to be outraged about it. I'm tired of talking about it. Because, aside from that, the match was actually very interesting. and Which is unusual for I the know. two of those. I think a lot of people are a little fatigued over this rivalry, but the match was very dramatic, and it had a ton of really exciting rallies, a huge amount of drop shots that were very, very well executed. Number, because they can be... Quantified. Thank you so much. I'll get you on this fucking quiz later, okay? (laughs) I need to rewrite some of these questions. I think going into the Australian Open, it probably doesn't change a lot. I think that it might be a good thing that Andy Murray's match winning streak was broken because there's less pressure. He's still the number one player. In my mind, they're still pretty neck and neck as far as who has a chance to win Australia. But we'll, we can talk about that in our preview episode. On to happier things. Grigor Dimitrov is your Brisbane tennis champion. Grigor, who I know it's a bit too early to have a pat on the back moment, but Grigor... <laughs> no, it's not too early. The player I picked to have a breakout in 2017 is making me look good right off the bat. And he's looking good himself. He sure is. After all those safari photos, those right? sexy safari photos. In spite of those hideously long shorts that he insists on wearing on the court. We'll get to that later on. <laughs> but he beat Steve Johnson, Nicola Meu. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Just don't. It's like too much. <laughs> Maui. <laughs> Dominic Team. Milos Raonic, and then Kenny Shikori in the final. So that's that's quite quite the achievement there. Three top 10 players. Johnson, who is still, I think, top 30. Mao, who is in the top 40, I believe, or there, thereabouts. Good for him. And let me tell you, I wasn't able to watch the final, but I watched some very comprehensive highlights <laughs> that went on forever. And it just looked like a very exciting match. A really high quality match. Grigor, we talk a lot about how he has so many gifts and it's kind of about putting it all together for him. He played very smartly and very aggressively. Uh, and it was just pretty cool to watch. Rafa Nadal, we'll talk about him for a little bit. He started the year playing the exhibition, the Mubadala 
event in Abu Dhabi, right? Mm-hmm. Where he beat Berdik, he beat Goffin, and he beat somebody else. Rayonic. Yes. He beat those three players. Turns up in Brisbane, he beats Dolgopolov, Dolgopolov in the first round, who is always a potentially tricky opponent. He beats Misha Zverev, and then he plays Raonic again in the quarterfinals. Rafa's depressed ranking, he's number nine. He's going to find himself outside of the top four semifinal draws. Mm. So he's most likely going to have to have tough quarterfinals for the foreseeable future. That's just the right. way of the world for him right now. He got Raonic again, won the first set, and then ended up losing. I believe it was like 6-3, 6-4, the next two sets, something like that. What do you take away from his results so far? I I was really surprised by his form in Abu Dhabi. I know it's only an exhibition, but, you know, you're playing top players. And it's for fun, but it's also the players trying to kind of feel out their form against the other top players get some matches under their belt. I was really encouraged. And the fact that he lost to Milos in a match that really counted is not really that discouraging for me. I think he's hitting a lot better. He's hitting not as deep as he should be, which is a common concern on hard courts. But I don't know. I think it positions him better for Australia than he was last year. He lost in the first round last year, so well, yeah. Anything's going to be better this year. I think what but we should be looking forward to. But going into the tournament, to... did we think, oh, he's definitely going to lose in the first round? Definitely not. Oh, from watching him play, I like that he seems to be more committed to the baseline, staying closer to the baseline, being able to resist powerful shots more, bending the knees a lot, absorbing the power and redirecting it off the ground. Mm. The forehand looks ten times better less clumsy and shanky right (laughs) more uh purposeful a lot more power and the thing that gives me most hope is how he and his camp uncle tony carlos and himself are speaking about the state of his game right now through much of his struggles it was a lot of doom and gloom from ever from everybody and a lot of (laughs) non-committal statements it's still a lot of you know let's let's wait and see it's going to take about three months to really know what's going on but a lot of the stuff that they're talking about, Rafa and his game right now, is very positive. So I'm I'm pleased. It would have been nice to at least beat Milos in that match. And then, okay, fine, if you lose to, to Grigor in the semis, with Grigor playing out of his mind this week. Like, mm. okay, you know, I can deal with that. But it's not a bad start at all for Rafa. We have a new number one in tennis. It's Bethany Matic-Sands, who is... The new WTA number one doubles player. And we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about all the other stuff that comes along with that. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know what you're talking about. First of all, Sanya Mirza's long reign as at number one comes to a close. And what made this kinda cool is that they partnered together away from their normal doubles teams together in Brisbane, and they won the tournament. And so you have Sanya Mirza in the trophy presentation congratulating Bethany, who is her partner standing right, right. beside her, literally passing the baton mm-hmm. to her as the new number one. So although she won, she rescinded the number one. Uh-huh. Or she she is- said it was like um, passing the Miss Universe trophy on, <laughs> something like that. 
But what we're referring to is... Uh, Bethany's therapeutic use exemption, which was chucked out because it was so absurd. <laughs> Multiple times. Yeah. Go back and read Ben Rothenberg's New York Times article about the whole WADA hack back at the, uh, I guess, in the fall sometime when the the Russians were doing the most ahead of the, the election. Russian. And so all these top players' names came out as having received exemptions. And people were like, oh, yeah, Serena, she was doping. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people, Rafa was a doper, blah, blah, blah. But in the midst of all that, and as Ben pointed out, the one who really had the most suspicious and pretty much the only tennis player who had suspicious TUEs mm-hmm. was Bethany because her name was involved with this doctor who, Dr. Serrano, who is very sketchy, who has a history of performance enhancing uh, prescriptions and treatments of famous athletes. And supposedly the, the exemption that she had applied for was a drug that would, while she claimed it would have helped for whatever physical ailment she had, it was deemed by WADA that it would then turn into testosterone, which would be clearly performance enhancing. Mm-hmm. And Bethany's never addressed it. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I ain't touching that. And so every time I see her now in some glorious moment, be it at the Olympics or winning majors or receiving the number one ranking in the world, it's just a little bit tainted for me. Like, I can't feel that... She's somebody, when you watch her celebrate, it's so joyous. Like, she's standing there, and she has a trophy, and Sanya's saying all these great things to her, and she literally cannot stop smiling. Mm-hmm. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody more happy in that moment than Bethany Matic Sands. And as human beings, we're inclined to absorb that happiness, and feel it, and reflect it, and give it back to her. And I, it's, it's an asterisk for me. It, it yeah, causes me, me questions and it it gives me great doubt. <laughs> <laughs> praise, praise her holy name, Queen Meryl. Right? Who we just saw, we just saw give one hell of a speech denouncing who I like to refer to now as the pumpkin fuck at the Golden Globes. You notice she never mentioned his name. Nope. She mentioned a lot of people's names, but didn't do him the courtesy Rising to the level of Michelle Obama, even, who campaigned throughout the entire political season without once mm. calling his name. Earlier this week, I sent out a couple of polls on Twitter, and I wanted to know from folks, who do you think is going to have the best year out of these, out of this lot of players? There were two polls. One of them had Maria, Rafa, Roger, and Caroline. So of those four players, all of them coming back in one way, shape, or form. Maria from drugs, Rafa from injury, <laughs> Roger from injury, and Wozniacki from just a horrible first half of the season last year. Played well in the fall, but she's somebody who's positioned to maybe return to the top 10 this year. Yeah. Of those Are four players... Hugely improve yep, her ranking. Of those four players, who is going to have the best year? And it was pretty resounding that Rafa with 43% of the vote, was the winner in that poll. Mm-hmm. So this might ref- reflect uh, the, the nature of your sample. Definitely, because I feel like I have <laughs> a lot more Rafa fans on my timeline yeah. than I do Federer fans. I have to say the fact that Maria wasn't able to break the double-digit ceiling 
tickled me. She would not have even made the debate podium. Of those four, who do you think will have the best year? Well, I voted for Rafa. Uh-huh. And it was it was partly sending my good vibes into the universe, but also that I actually believe that he is in a position to make some waves this year. I'm feeling very optimistic about his year in 2017, like I said earlier. I think, well, actually, Caroline Wozniacki could have a great year, too. Caroline would be my pick of those four to have the best year, because also you have to consider what you consider having the best year. Is it winning slams? Caroline probably has the best chance of those four to win a slam. What? Given the you think un- so? I do, given the uncertain nature oh, of, I don't of women's tennis, and there's a lot more room for somebody to come out of a grouping of, say, on the men's tour, just four players who you think can win a tournament, a Grand Slam. We've seen with Pliskova making the the U.S. Open final, Kerber having success last year, Murutha, you know, you have a lot more people getting their first title, playing well unexpectedly on the WTA. Right. Whereas Rafa would have to get through with his current ranking, even at the French Open, probably have to get through a tough quarterfinal, tough fourth round, to even get to a final or win a final to then say, wow, he's had a great year. Because what would what would a great year look like for Rafa? Well, of course, it's, it's winning not, a major. His, it's certainly not making quarterfinals. His standard is definitely going to be different yes. than Caroline. Yes. And even Roger. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in men's tennis, it's kind of hard to see anyone break through Novak and Andy right now because they're just at a different level from anyone else, except for maybe Stan. And people are saying, well, Rafa... I saw a lot of things predicting who's going to win the four majors before the start of the year. And a lot of people were still picking Rafa to win the French Open. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's cool. But this is a year when Novak has already won the French Open. Andy probably has a better chance than Rafa to win the French Open. Because he is one of the top three best clay quarters on tour right Mm -hmm. now. And you could make the argument that it's his time. Given that he's number one and all the winning he's done in the last six months. So I think it's just going to be a harder path for him feel like, given the nature of my timeline, the 43% was a lot more wishful thinking. <laughs> okay, I mean, we have said that Rafa fans are a very optimistic mm-hmm. bunch. The other poll had the top players, two from each tour, Serena, Novak, Andy, and Kerber. <laughs> Andy Moore's got a lot of fans now, <laughs> because yeah. I did not expect that result. He got 40% of that vote. The sample size, both of these polls had more than 100 votes each. Mm-hmm. So small, yes, but still not insignificant. So Andy got at least 40 votes for having the best year of those four players. I, of course, picked Serena. Mm -hmm. I don't think I voted on that one. But if I were to pick one person, I would probably go with Novak again. Oh, God, be gone with you. I don't think the reign of Novak is over. No. I will believe it when I see it. I agree that it's not over, but I, well, I shouldn't say anything because I don't want to jinx it. (laughs) <laughs> watch i'm gonna say oh he'll you know he'll only win two majors or whatever and then he'll win the calendar year grand slam but even that you say he only wins two majors given the struggles he had winning two majors in 2017 will be a great year for him i don't think anybody's expecting him to win all four majors mm. whereas if he had won wimbledon won the u.s open been looking for his seventh in a row in australia that would have been a, a subpar year winning one or two majors mm-hmm. Him now coming back, winning two majors, possibly getting back to number one, that's a a triumphant return. All right. And Andy is the number one player. He had an excellent fall. 
He's won three majors now, but you have to remember he is not a consistent Grand Slam winner. So I think that we have to be a little cautious in in predicting that he could win multiple majors in a year because he just hasn't shown that he can do that. There are big gaps in between his Grand Slams, you know? And I don't think Angie's ever going to be the player to be the favorite at Slams as long as Serena's around. So I don't think you can look at those four players and say, well, what? yeah, I'm definitely going to pick Angie. Yeah, I think that would be a little fandom if you pick Angie out of those four. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not no shade at all, because I do like her. I think she's a very good player, and I think she can definitely win a major this year, but I don't think she's going to achieve on the same level as the others. We're going to speed through a few etc. of stuff that happened in the last couple of weeks. Destiny Ayarva, and there's an R in that name. I'm telling you, there's something with the R's. Australians just put in R's. Yeah, where but you don't expect them there to. are is like an ah. <laughs> no, this came from Destiny herself. Somebody asked her on Twitter, how do you pronounce it? Is it mm-hmm. this way or that way? And she wrote the word, the letter R in the pronunciation. But they don't say they're R's. That, I'm te- listen, I'm telling you that's what she said. Okay. She became the first player born in the 2000s to win a WTA tour level match. And she also received a wild card into the Australian Open. She's 16 years old. Yo. Born in the 2000s? Right. Um, that's not fair. I didn't know anything about her before No. <laughs> before 2017. And so when the name started popping up and how it's spelt, D-E-S-T-A-N-E-E, I was like, this girl is clearly named after Whitney Houston's glory note in <laughs> one moment in time, where she's racing with destiny. But looking at her birth date, there's another destiny she is probably named after. And her, the children right? of destiny. And perhaps her destiny will be fulfilled at some point. Oh, who knows? <laughs> it was a really great coming out party for her this week. Roberta Vinci made the quarterfinals in Brisbane and played some really good tennis. I <laughs> said on Twitter that I'm a Vinci convert. Yeah, I that... like how you put this in the etc. category so we could just breeze <laughs> through it. So you put on Twitter that you're a maybe, possibly, potentially a convert no, I to think Vinci. No, I, I think I said I am a convert. All right, so that you like watching her or whatever, right? Her game is unlike damn near anybody on tour. That's something to celebrate. Like, who she is now at her age with the style of her game, it's somewhat miraculous that she wins matches. <laughs> So, it definitely wasn't cute when she was beating Serena. I know. It was not cute. And it wasn't cute when she was giving Venus some sass. Mm-mm. In, I think, it, I want to say Zuhai? Zuhai? In 2015? And so, like, I have a, a, a checkered history with Vinci. This is not to say that I don't know what ha- happened. Like, you in go in with your eyes open. Yeah, I know saying. what I'm getting into. And I maybe expect some fucker in the future mm. that might derail this conversion. But I'm enjoying the fact that she didn't retire and that she's back and she's still living her life on tour and giving us some unexpected moments. And let me tell you, you got gored by people you thought were your friends Listen, on Twitter. You I, were savaged. I also sat at a round table inches from Vinci in Cincinnati mm. and I watched her charm everybody in that room and it wasn't put on. It wasn't Muguruza who was clearly trying very mm. hard. It was Vinci who is just a funny, likable person. 
As to how that translates on court against your fave, I don't know. Well, I do know how it happened do, in the past. You do know. Yes. But like there've there've just been like a progression of moments where I'm like, you know what? Vinci ain't that bad. Like she's no Sarah Rani. Oh really? Oh really? And she's no Cornet. For those of you who wanted to know if Jonathan was disciplined for such a transgression, he had I forced him to sleep in the dog bed the other day. <laughs> and Vince got tucked into the covers was very comfy listen you threatened divorce so you talking about how i was banished <laughs> to some coach or whatever or some dog bed like that ain't even half of what you promised okay well we're not even i think you realized how good you had it oh and you had to go come crawling back wow did you hear me stutter there like miss sherry whitfield <laughs> We're not even married, so I don't really have a leg to stand on. Like, go, I can't threaten divorce. Who gonna check me, boo? <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, it was, it, it kept coming. It was, the, the, it was pretty savage. Mm-hmm. And I, when I, when I wrote it, I expected to get a lot of trolling from Serena, from the, the Serena army, the Rena army, right? From people who follow me or whatever, who I don't really interact with necessarily on a very regular basis. But not from your friends. Right. These were my peoples. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Ash Barty. This could be one of the best feel-good moments of the year. She could be the one Martin Del Potro of 2017. We know she struggled with, at a very young age, depression in being a professional tennis player. Walked away from the game. Ended up taking up professional cricket for an Aussie summer or two. And then... In the spring, decided spring of 2016, decided she was going to come back to tennis. I know this is her first full go of it, back on the WTA tour. She won her first match in Brisbane, won her first round match, then played Angie Kerber in the second round, winning a set, and then returned to doubles with Casey Delacqua, the two of them having previously experienced Grand Slam double success mm-hmm. when Ash was at 17. And they came very close they had about four match points in their match to winning that first rounder. Ended up losing in the super tiebreak. But she's made a, uh, a an assured return to the game. She had that semifinal run at one of the Wimbledon lead-up lead tournaments last year. Mm-hmm. Where she made it through qualifying all the way to the semifinals. But now this is this is her first full go of it. Can you imagine being that good at two things? Well, I don't know how good she was at cricket. Okay. She was good enough to play in, I don't don't know what kind of league it was in Australia, but they take cricket very seriously down there, right? But really, if you're playing at this level in women's tennis, you you can definitely say, hi, I'm one of the best 150 people in the entire world at this sport that I play. That's pretty cool. And uh, if I want, I can go play cricket. We've got two more segments. The first just kind of came out of nowhere tonight because... Friend of the podcast, Caitlin Thompson, who is, as she says in her Twitter profile, content doyen, also a co-host of The Main Draw and co-founder of Racket Magazine. She was on the show promoting Racket Mag and sponsored the Body Serve to promote Racket Mag. So I'd been tweeting about Grigor Dimitrov and I had said that I don't care how successful he gets how many matches he wins, how many titles he wins, he'll never take that next step unless he loses the long shorts and 
shortens them considerably. <laughs> like you will never make that next step unless you correct that serious ill in tennis. Yeah. What is with the basketball shorts? I just, I, it's unimaginable. Because, because you know, you know, he knows he's cute. Right. And we've seen the short shorts. We saw him <laughs> in the off season wearing those like five inch shorts. <laughs> right. Cause he's out here on Instagram, like doing splits and having people fan him with a palm leaf. Right. That was on the, the picture. Beach, that was shirtless. the picture. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, he knows he's cute. Mm-hmm. So what is with the long ass shorts? This is not 1994. He had these two-tone shorts that were purple that then segued into white at the bottom. And if the shorts had ended at the purple, <laughs> it would have been perfect. And then so you're just left with this absurd white mm-hmm. at the bottom that just took the shorts three inches below the knee. Men do not need to be wearing shorts below the knee anymore. That is a fashion no in all facets of life. Right. And it makes you look shorter. Caitlin wants to know who is best equipped to bring back men's short shorts, a la Bjorn Borg, who, tell me if you've known anybody to wear short shorts I better mean, than Borg. He wrote the book on short shorts. Basketball players used to wear short shorts. So like, now mm-hmm. that we refer to basketball shorts and it's commonly known as ridiculously long shorts, that's not how it always was. John Stockton fought the good fight for years even in the mid 90s <laughs> wearing his old school short shorts <laughs> while jordan was like playing in in like ankle length shorts yes, capris. right, right? <laughs> so we've come up come up with a list a and few nominations caitlin says she and chris neary they're going to be talking about it on their podcast so this is a bit of cross promotion here you listen to us you listen to her we're going to compare notes i have a few names here while I've been imploring Grigor to shorten his shorts, I don't think he would look good with really short shorts. If he's shirtless on the beach, absolutely. Why mm-hmm. not? Okay. But he's so tall, the shirt's going to be so long to begin with that it's going to look disproportional. Okay. And he's so, like, lanky. He could, know? maybe, he would have to add a little meat first, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the biggest criteria. Mm-hmm. You need meat and junk in the lower half. Yeah. No thigh gap. i'm not here for a thigh gap ever (laughs) and obviously rafa who started his career with the capris he's been rocking the short shorts Mm -hmm. of late i don't understand why the waist of his shorts look like diapers they have for a little while (laughs) (laughs) no even his uh his pirate pants they looked kind of like that clearly it's to keep the butt from being exposed, mm-hmm. right? He needs that added security because it's it's that present. Yeah, it it needs to be cinched, <laughs> the waist. The cut of his shorts haven't always been the most flattering, but he has the right idea. And if somebody were to come up with a perfectly made short for Rafa, mm-hmm. he could really lead this tidal wave, this, this cultural shift in tennis that we need to see happen. His body's made for this. <laughs> In addition to his many other talents. <laughs> right. So oh, here are a few of my nominations. Uh, Robredo. You came I up think... with Robredo yeah, independently? Wait. I do too. For real? Yeah. Oh my God. I thought I was going to be the only one. Nope. So Robredo has been out of the game for a little while, unfortunately. But he he can fill out a nice pair of shorts. And his shorts are already a comfortably bit short. short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do not sleep on Tommy Robredo. 
Dominic team needs to follow in Rafa Nadal's steps in every regard. Mm -hmm. And so even two years ago, I was looking back at pictures of my, uh, my archives of pictures from going to tennis tournaments. And I have pictures of Dominic in Toronto in 2014 when he still had some of that baby fat. And, you know, he, he wasn't as lean and trim as he is now. And so his clothes were baggier and he's made improvements mm-hmm. <laughs> over, over those two years. The next step now is to just shorten the length of the shorts because he has, he has everything going for him in the vein of Rafa Nadal. I see. Interesting. I actually have Rafa and team under the kind of too hot for TV category. <laughs> I think that short shorts might be a little obscene in both of their cases that there would have to be like a parental advisory on their matches. Obscene for who? It just might be a little too much. Mm. Yeah, you I, know? There's no such thing. Well, not for us, but for general audiences, inappropriate. <laughs> Songa, definitely, if you've seen his recent Instagram photo. And Fernando Verdasco does not need to be explained. I think the Frenchman, say for Guile, I think I don't think Gael needs to be wearing short shorts with his scrawny <laughs> legs. <laughs> uh, because that's part of it, too. You have to have the legs, too, mm. right? Uh, it's not just the thighs and the butt. The Frenchman, Luca Pui, let me tell you, do not sleep on Luca Pui. I think Richard Gasquet could give a real retro old school feel to it, especially with his Fila kit and the traditional mm-hmm. colors that he likes to wear. You know, throw a headband in there or something and yeah, it could work. And Songa, like you said, so we've got the Frenchman covered there. Stan, you probably would put that in the obscene category. Right, right. Like, maybe, doesn't maybe. need any more enhancements, <laughs> you know? I'm not talking about, like, drastic shortness. I'm just like, you mm-hmm. know, make a statement. Like, you, somebody comes to watch tennis and they're like, okay, like, those shorts are short. <laughs> and then he's like, well, yes, they're short because I can wear shorts like this because I can fill them out. Mm. What? Says something. <laughs> I got a little bit of feedback from two Twitter friends, uh, Dr. Scholes and then Hurley Tennis. I asked them, who do you think would be good for this? Mm-hmm. That's called field research. Right. And they both said Tomasz Berdyk, which I, I don't... I really liked his H&M kits. I don't, I don't get it, personally, mm-hmm. so I had to ask them to explain it. And they, they told me that it's about the legs. Apparently, Tomasz has amazing legs, which, shame on me, I've never been that interested mm-hmm. in Tomasz, so I... I haven't noticed it, <laughs> but apparently he's a, a fairly popular candidate for this, this campaign. <laughs> All right. I honestly, the more on board, the better. They're, they're also just more stylish. I got a couple more. Feliciano Lopez. Obviously. Clearly not obviously because you didn't have him listed. Oh, I felt like that. I mean, doesn't he already kind of wear them? Kind of. Pretty, and they're pretty tight. The- <laughs> From what I remember seeing him in person. And he even rolls them up sometimes, like a Catholic schoolgirl. <laughs> the two, which are my kind of wild card picks, who you thought Roberto was going to be. Mm. One, Jack Sock. Jack Sock, if he were to lose a little bit of weight, because he's a pretty stocky guy to begin with, but he's got the assets to make it work. Mm-hmm. If he were to lose a little bit of weight, being able to wear a tighter shirt that looked a little bit more ripped with some sort of shorts, <laughs> like... This could be his look. Like he could revolutionize American men's apparel. Okay. I'm like I'm taking a break from Jack Sock until I know who he voted for. 
<laughs> really? I'm not I'm not going down that path again. And the last one I have is Diego Schwartzman. Oh yeah. But he would need because he's such a short guy, he would need to wear smaller shirts to go with the shorter shorts. Yeah. Because he's mm. short, you can't be like five foot of shirt and then five <laughs> inches of shorts, right. you know? You can just look like Andre Agassi in the mid nineties. Precisely yeah. that. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's time for you to take a quiz. Ooh, child. Like, I have been dreading this. Dreading? I'm so excited. You know I love quizzes. I This is my first time. You're popping my quiz mm-hmm. cherry. So, is it better to give or to receive? You are so nasty. We'll find it. You just said cherry. <laughs> <laughs> I would have you reminded that our parents listen to this podcast. I didn't say that. <laughs> So, Jonathan is really, really bad with surprises. Like, always tries to find his Christmas presents and shit Don't like, like that. Don't like them. Not about that life. Like, I grew up in and, a household where I could not surprise my mother with a Christmas gift because she would always find it. <laughs> Why was she looking? That's, well, that's who I, that's where I get it I from. Told her, I, I told her. I don't like surprises. I told your mom if she ever found Christmas presents, I would just take them back. <laughs> you know, I'm very serious about surprises. That's some military living shit. Like, I, I... <laughs> she she knows this. She and I have discussed this. So I kept trying to ask him, like, what is it about? Give me a hint. He's like, no, I'm not giving you anything. And so the one question I asked you was, is it about recent stuff or older stuff? And he was like, both. And then you said it was timely. Mm-hmm. So I deduced it's about the Australian Open, which you confirmed. Tis, yeah. But that was confirmed just before we went to recording. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's get on with it because I got 14 questions here. Damn. And some of them have several parts. Mm. So, okay. Which male player has won the most Australian Open singles titles in the Open era? Djokovic. Yes. Do you know how many? He's won six. Yes. Do you want to know which years? No. (laughs) Because I don't have that information here. Now, do you know who won the most in the pre-Open era? Hmm. Pre-open, I'm going to go with Rosewall. It's a valiant effort, but Labor? Roy Emerson. Emerson. Who, you know, it has, uh, I think, 12. Something up there, 11. Yeah. I think it's 11. He actually had the record before yeah. Sampras, Sampras broke it, right? Anyway. You're uh, right. I think it may be 12. Now, which female player has the most open era, Australian Open titles? Open era... Would be Serena. Yes. How many? She has six. Yeah, also six. Mm-hmm. And the pre-open era. Margaret Court. Mm-hmm. She has 74. <laughs> <laughs> well done. So that's questions one and two. Question three. Can you name the show courts at Melbourne Park? There is Rod Laver Arena. There's Hisense. Yep. And there's another one? There is. There are three. Three. three named chords. Margaret Court. Mm-hmm. Well done. Okay. This is a true or false. Okay. According to the new Extreme Heat rule, mm-hmm. a match can only be halted at the end of a set. In other words, if people are dropping dead on the court because it's too hot, they're like, sorry, you have to wait till the end of the set. Right. Is that true or false? That's false. That is correct. Now, the match can be ended at the end of an even game. Halted or ended? Halt. Well, halted. Like suspended. That's correct. Yeah. 
No, I'm telling you that's correct. No, that's true. <laughs> that wasn't a question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm saying you got the question right. I was just explaining. <laughs> I was just explaining why it was right. Okay, question five. Which woman won the very first Open Era Australian Open title? I want to say that Chrissy and Martina did not go to Australia back then. So I'm going to say it's Yvonne Gulagong. No. Court? It is Margaret Court. And fun fact, the Australian Open went open one year later than the other majors. So it was actually... Are we talking about 69? Yeah, 69. The other majors were 1968. I'm so dumb. I was thinking like 70s for some reason. I had a brain fart. Oh, that's okay. And uh, whom did Margaret Court beat in that final in 1969? Billie Jean? Yeah. It's a safe guess, right? Question six. Which tournament has a court named after Patrick Rafter? Oh, that's Brisbane. Mm -hmm. This one you better know. Whom did Andre Agassi beat for his first Australian title? That was 1995 and that was Pete Sampras. (laughs) Wow. Okay, here's here, this one is a little bit different. Can you name two players against whom Serena Williams saved match point and went on to win the tournament? This I don't know. This is like a total guess. Because as you know, I've been more of a Serena lover in recent years. Yes. Hmm. Saving match point. It's probably something that would give you a lot of pleasure. <laughs> I want to say Anna for one of them. No. Oh. Hmm. Two players. Are these big name players? I'm not giving you clues. But yes, they are. They are big name players. Capriati. No. Oh, See, you're gonna have to tell me because I don't. Okay. Know. Kim Kleisters. Okay. In the 2003 semifinals, uh, Serena won. I uh, saved two match points. Okay. And in 2005. In the semifinal, can you remember now? 2005 semifinal? Three match points against Sharapova. Okay, yeah. And that was actually to end her losing snap against Sharapova. Oh, after she had Mm -hmm. lost to her in the year in championships and Wimbledon the year before. And then Serena went on to win the title against Davenport in the final. And then the next 60 matches she played against Sharapova. (laughs) (laughs) So question nine. When... Did Venus Williams last reach the Australian Open final? Australian Open final. That would be 2003. Yes. The last of the four of the Serena Slam. Exactly. And it was, it really remains one of the best matches of their rivalry. Number 10. Venus never won the Australian Open, but she did win a gold medal in Sydney, Australia. Who did she beat in the gold medal match? Sydney was 2000. I want to say Dementieva. Yes, well done. Oh. Mm-hmm. See, I knew Dementieva had won a silver medal, but I, feel, I felt like she had kind of been too young for it to have been I know. done. But... It was at the very beginning of her career, but she also won a gold medal. Uh, 11. This player has reached the most Australian Open finals without ever winning one. Without ever winning. Male or female? You're well, not it, it actually applies to both genders. Oh, so there's two players? No. I mean, this is the player of both men and women who has reached the most finals. So it could be a man or woman. You're not helping me. Right. That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And is this open era? Yes. 
most finals without ever winning. You're not even going to give me if it's a man or a woman? It's a man. It's a man. Okay. Sir, I'm going to say that is Lendl. It's uh, it's Sir. A Sir? A Sir. Oh, shit. It's Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? No, Lendl has won the Australian. Oh, okay. It's just uh, Wimbledon that he hadn't. He didn't win. It didn't even occur to me to think recently. I know. I should have. Well, if I said active, it would have been way too yeah. obvious. 12. So, as you know, Steffi Graf won a Golden Slam in 1988. Mm-hmm. She beat this defending champion in the quarterfinals that year. Of the Australian of Open? Of the Australian in Open. 1988? In 1988. Defending champion. And she beat her in the quarterfinals. It wouldn't have been Everett because that would have been too early to meet Everett in the quarterfinals in 88. I'm going to say Martina. No. It's actually Hanna Mandelkova. Oh. What was the name of the site of the Australian Open from 1972 until it moved to Melbourne Park in 1988? I have no idea. Okay. That's Kuyong. Oh, where that's where the exhibition now. Okay. Yeah. And the final question has a few parts. So there are several players who represent Australia but were born elsewhere. Can you name their country of birth? So Daria Gavrilova. Okay, we'll do her first. Daria Gavrilova. You know I'm bad with this. I'm so bad with really? this. Really? Yeah. She is from Russia. Yes. Okay. How about Yarmila Wolf? Slash growth. Slash Gadisova. <laughs> She's Czech? Close. She's Slovak. Okay. Yelena Dokic. Now, remember, just a hint, some of these may be former countries. Oh, and you, uh, I'll accept either. Yugoslavia? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Arena Rodionova. Uh, Bulgaria? No, that's also Russia. Oh. And Marinko Matosevic. Oh, he's an expat. Matosevic. Croatia. I will give you that because he is of Croatian descent. However, Serbia? he was born in the Bosnian area oh. of Yugoslavia. Okay. Before it was Bosnia. So I would say you did pretty well. I tried to get some hard questions in there. Some of those were hard as fuck. I, like, yeah. I would never give you some of those questions. Oh, my God. <laughs> Calm down. You're also, like, smarter than me, so... Oh, thank you. So I'm going to give you full points for question 14, because you got three out of the five. Okay. So so according to my calculations, you got 11 out of the 18. I thought you said there were 14 questions. But some of them had multiple parts. Oh. There was, like, an A and B. So I got, like, 60%? Yeah, I mean, it's best not to do percent. You In weren't... Canada, that's, like, a B+. plus. <laughs> I, I, in fairness, you weren't able to prepare because I didn't tell you what it was about. So this was totally, you went in cold. So I think you, you could be proud of your I'm okay with that. Like, you know here. my weaknesses. You know some of the stuff, like, would have been tough. They were tough. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I'm sure there's some people out there who are like, yeah, I got 100. Like, no problem. Like, if you had given me who had won the Australian Open on the men's and women's tours from 1990 onwards, I would have gotten 
52 out of 52. That's not, <laughs> but that's not interesting at all to listen to. <laughs> Finishing up the episode, just a few TV etc. because, you know, we intertwine television into our podcasting aesthetic and our persona. We have started watching Big Brother, Celebrity Big Brother UK, partly because I follow Michelle Visage. Hey! On Twitter. And you know she... Well, you may not know. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) She was a housemate on one of the previous seasons. And so she's been live tweeting the the launch. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to find... I'm going to give this a go. Because it could be fun. There was Ray Ray J is on it. And Stacey Francis is on it. And I knew there was going to be some Whitney reveals and some Whitney drama. Because Stacey Francis got into it with Whitney the night before she died at a club. And Ray J was Whitney's longtime boo, her mm-hmm. boy toy, yeah. or as they say in Britain, toy boy. <laughs> <laughs> and Stacy was a friend of Ray J's family. So there was a lot of mix-up, mix-up going on there. So my Whitney-loving self was curious to see some of that. I was like, I, I, I bro- broached the topic to you and you're like, um, mm. Like, I mean, this show is trash. Like, it is terrible. We watch trash. We're not right. averse to trash. No. We it watch is, Housewives of Atlanta. That's trash. Yeah. But I I mean, I like the parts of the show that are in the house, but there's like so much stupid preamble on Big Brother UK. Like, you know, this live audience standing outside and this host talking for ever. It's like, shut up. I don't care about any of that stuff. Just, why, what I don't understand just show about, the footage in the house. What like, I don't understand is why we have to be constantly updated as to the time. Like, we can see the time. It's, I can tell you now, in Toronto, in this bedroom while we're recording, it's 1.23 a.m. <laughs> what is that accent? What is that? That is the most irritating thing I've ever heard. It is so annoying. And kudos to our real-life friend, Meg Peary, because she suggested that we watch Scott and Bailey, which is another British procedural detective show mm-hmm. and we just effing love this one yeah it's not gory it's not suspenseful even a lot of it has to do with the woman on the show the two detectives scott and bailey and their friendship and their rapport and the fact that they're two successful women who do not bicker and fight and that's not the go-to low denominator mm-hmm. and they don't really compete to sell with show. each other no it's it's just wonderful like yeah. i look forward to if we didn't have to go watch sherlock right now i would be compelling you to watch two episodes before bed <laughs> i actually like that it's not uh as it's not depressing like broad church right? and happy valley like it's more case of the week you shout know, out it's to, more easily digestible shout out to olivia coleman who won a golden globe tonight yeah all right well This is the end of our season opener. Season three has begun. We are back. We don't know if we're quite ready for tennis yet, but we're here. We're with you. And we don't have a choice. Tennis is ready for us. (laughs) (laughs) We were beyond predicting when our next episode will be because who knows when fresh shit will spring up. (laughs) We could release tomorrow and then we'll be back on Thursday. Within the next hour, making this all moot. (laughs) And uh, please give us a, re- a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. We're on Twitter at TheBodySurf. And I am James and I'm at Elliot JMR. I'm Jonathan at SportsCribeCA. Thank you for listening and uh, welcome to Season 3. Till next time.